0: The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20,
1: 30, 40, 50
0: years from now. He's outspoken.
1: You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids.
0: And he tells it like it
1: is. That you watched a great athlete named The Franchise and he was the greatest. World's
0: heavyweight
1: champion of all time!
0: He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. all together now one big happy family so uh far all right let's get it rolling right here right and now you, and you can't
1: and you can't talk about Tom brady
0: <laughs> oh, <boo. laughs> he's still got a ways to go before he's rick flair status but hey welcome in here to episode number 80 of the triple threat podcast if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only jp john poz and of course on this show Resurrecting here for episode number eighty, he is the one and only, the franchise, the one number one in your hearts, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to <laughs> welcome to episode eighty.
1: Hey, I, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna play the hero here. I'm gonna take the bullet it, for the fans out there. I apologize, uh, and uh, JP and, and Chadster. Uh, I was unavailable last week. Uh, you know, it's having a thirteen-year-old to seventeen-year-old. It gets pretty hectic at times and bursts. <laughs> And I was off uh, tending to those duties uh, last week, so that's why eighty has been delayed by a week. But we promise to give you a great one right now.
0: Ah, it's always uh, it's always fun, you know. Look, dealing with uh, with you on a on a weekly basis is always an adventure. <laughs> but it's a great adventure. Uh, to steal a line there from the old uh, theme park there at Six Flags, it's a great adventure. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Sometimes in the case of this one, you know, we have to rework a little bit of the content because of uh, the the time sensitive nature. But hey, doesn't a good yeah. veteran call uh, say call it in the ring? Right, that's what we're going to be doing tonight oh. a little bit. Call it on the fly, brother. Let's go. All right. Well, obviously we're here at episode eighty. We had just come off on episode seventy nine. We did this great look back at, uh, at at parts of your career we hadn't really touched on, and what we we're going to do is start the slow build into other aspects of that career of your great career, those early days that we haven't really talked about on the show. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but in terms of what we're going to be doing next. But Shane, it's great to have you on here. We're coming off the Super Bowl. Uh, JP will not stop talking about it every two seconds. It's Tom Brady this, it's Tom Brady that. And I love the fact that you had to just come out on a limited and ask, Are you even a Patriots fan? And he's not! So that's what's crazy about it.
1: <laughs> Tremendous. Tremendous. It's uh. Hey, look, I, you know, you got to give Tom Brady credit, right? And the entire Patriots organization is. They've now equaled the Steelers, you know, which I, th- I thought had set a record that would be a long time before being equaled uh, with the uh, six rings. Um, when you see a guy his age being able to perform, and let's face it, in the last year, year and a half, there's been a lot of drama going on in the Patriots organization. Uh, you know, Belichick's going to be out, he's not going to be out. Uh, just a lot of different noise coming out of there, but somehow... Uh, they, they got on track at the right time of the year. And you go back and look at like the Steelers, I can speak definitively about, but I'm sure if you go back and look at most teams that have won the Super Bowl, they have certain lull periods in the season then get hot and hit it at the right point. And the Patriots certainly did that this year. But, you know, for a guy of Tom Brady's age to be able to perform uh, at that level now, uh, in the fairness of openness, I didn't watch it down to the game. Uh, I was busy running, doing a bunch of other stuff that I've been working on. And, uh, you know, but, you know, my sons were keeping me informed and telling me that it was a you know, low-scoring game, pretty boring game. I, I like a defensive game. Uh, but, you know, the, just speak on the outcome. For a guy like Brady to be able to, at this stage of his career, uh, still perform at that level is impressive. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely impressive to see that you know, they, 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 now to do it a seventh time, uh, as the Steelers have found out, it's a, you know, there's some kind of a, a glass ceiling there, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it's watch and see. I mean, I, I thought Brady was done a year or two ago, and he's Super Bowl champion right now. So it really, the sky's the limit, and, you know, new records are being written all the time. It's, uh, it's impressive to watch.
0: JP, what is it about uh, TV12 that you love him so much? JP. Echo. Well, I'll tell you what I think about Tom Brady. He's a great, uh, he's a great athlete. He's, uh, he's a wonderful human being. He's uh, maybe the luckiest man in the room with uh, Giselle there as his wife. And, uh, you know, as I, speaking for JP right now, since uh, I think he's back, but uh, I think he's yeah, a great athlete. All right, so what I was asking you, what do you think about what, – what is it about Brady? Why do, you, uh, why do you love Brady so much? First of
2: all, he's consistent. He's a great player. He's got a great arm. He's got a great mind. He's a great leader. Uh, His wife is uh, not too bad. He's (laughs) awesome. I love Tom Brady. Plus, uh, you can't argue with uh, six rings, him being the GOAT, and basically him about to pretty much take over every passing record known to man. And there you go. Except. Except. Except what? What record? Come on. Passing yardage in a season. Shit, He'll get there again. <laughs> he had it. Remember in uh, 0- 08, he had it. Was that the uh, strike season? Hell no. No, the year when uh, Randy, when he had Randy... No, it was 07, the year with uh, Randy Moss. He had the record at one point. And but I know you, you're so... Enough but I know you're still stuck on Terry Bradshaw and now you like Ben Roethlisberger. Hey, I know because like, you're a big Steelers fan.
1: Like I said, it, it, Brady will, I, I will call him the goat when I see him get German suplex and get up and win a game. <laughs> and th- then I'll, I'll bow down to him because Bradshaw I did that. And, uh, you ever seen that? Him get German suplex dumped on his head and <laughs> still won the game. Uh, today I you know not taking any away from Brady or anybody playing today but you know I think the game is vastly different and protective of the quarterbacks for obvious reasons uh, both litigious and and, uh, and other but you know I just think it's a vastly different game where back then the quarterbacks were getting destroyed and you know had to, to play through that and today the, the the rules are so protective of the quarterbacks um you know, as, you know, as it should be, I guess. You know, uh, they're commodities, right? You know, you have a a player who's going to win or lose the Super Bowl for you, or you know, a, a championship for you, you know, AFC, NFC, whatever. Uh, you know, but you know that that was the game back then, also, and the, and the quarterbacks weren't protected. You know, Bradshaw wasn't a small guy either. You know, it's uh, it's, it's funny how, how you know the, the games, the game. Although basically still the same, right? Scoring touchdowns, steel goals, yardage—it's uh, it, changed so much that it's really like comparing day and night. You, know, you you can't compare quarterbacks from that era to the quarterbacks of this era because much like we've talked about with political stuff before, you can't—you know—you can't judge somebody in 1860 through 19 or 2019 eyes. Uh, it, it's sort of an unfair comparison any more than. I think any of us would want to be judged through 3,000-year uh, uh, eyes. Uh, God knows how insane the world will be then. But uh, hats off to Brady, the Patriots, uh, another uh, an impressive win.
0: Hey, and uh, apparently, you know, the uh, the yearly Rob Gronkowski leaving the NFL and uh, joining the WWE discussion heats up as Triple H and his deformed head and whatever the hell is going on uh, on that bald uh, chrome dome of his showed off another championship belt that he said in the pats but it looks like uh they've still got interest in gronkowski coming to wwe what do you think about that shane
1: how old gronkowski 37 now 36
0: jp 36 let's just go with 36 i think
1: so i think <laughs>
2: 35 but let me double check
1: that that's you know we've seen that before right dallas came in you know started quite late uh and i'd Dare say, now let me guess, Dallas. I don't think he had the athleticism that Kronkowski has. Um, but you know, that that's uh, you know, we, we've seen there was a learning curve, right? For uh, uh oh god, the brain fart, uh, the, the UFC girl, um, it, it, yeah, Ronda Rousey. This is what I've chairs, uh, for 30 years, um, but. You know, even she, with her prodigious experience in the ring, uh, you know, there was a learning curve. And and I I would take a stab at a guess and say she's still learning as she goes. Uh, Somebody stepping in from a completely different sport, I think, would be a lot more difficult. But again, in the WWE model where everything is micromanaged and scripted and teleprompted, uh, you know, I'm sure he could deliver the goods on whatever it is they want you know, or need him to deliver. So, uh, much like football, wrestling is vastly different today than, than it was any know Steve Austin. I thought, uh, we mentioned this before that it, how it took us both seven years to start to feel comfortable in the ring. Uh, you know, so I would think that a guy that age coming into the business, maybe today in sports entertainment, it can be done. Uh, I don't think it'd be very likely, uh, back in the day when you had to call in the ring and, you know, do it spontaneously, you know, et cetera. So then versus now, I guess, in both sports.
0: I'm not going to lie. I'm not looking for a job ever again with uh, WWE. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, Shane, I'm going to send you this picture later of what I'm talking about with this deformed head (laughs) of Triple H. It is (laughs) freaky when you look at it. It's just I can't (laughs) stop staring at this picture. It is the weirdest thing what's happened to this guy's head. Now, I'm not saying anything you know, I'm not saying anything might have caused that, but it is freaky <laughs> when you look at. It. You got to see. it. I, I'll send it to you later on. It's uh, it's weird.
1: Does, does, does the, I have no idea about the picture you're talking about, but would the word aquamegaly maybe play into into the uh, conversation here? Mm.
0: Yeah, there's something. There's there's definitely uh, <laughs> there's some questions. There's something very uh, caveman y about the uh, the appearance. <laughs> you know, Cap, Captain Caveman. <laughs>
2: So, <laughs> hey Shane, you know I just looked.
0: Uh, Gronkowski,
2: by the way, is only 29, about to be 30. No, he's been in the league for nine he, years. Yeah, oh. and he's been in the league for nine years. Yeah, yep.
1: He's only 29 years old.
2: Yep, just and he's about to turn 30 in May, and he's been in the league for nine years. Pretty good. He, he looks. Yeah, like he's, he's got the body of a. Years. Yeah, he's got <laughs> the body of a 35, 36, 37 year old man. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. I have thought much older than that, but. uh, back to the other thing uh you know the thing about craniums is you know even though our bodies age and our skin sort of sags and you know things like that your skull pretty much doesn't change unless (laughs) you're taking (coughs) supplements of a a certain kind uh uh but i'll i'll reserve judgment till i see the picture but uh just based on what you're the way you're describing it captain caveman uh, that's telling me there's a little acromegaly going on.
0: <laughs> and think about those long, flowing blonde locks. You know the uh, the, the Hunter Hearst Helmsley with the with the girls and, and the blue blood. And this is uh, this is something else. It's definitely uh, it's eye opening.
1: And the pirate poofy shirt.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I don't want to be a pirate. That's uh, that's Triple H. He was he was a pirate. He was a croquet, you know, croquet playing, horseback riding, yeah. blue blood, you know, legitimately from you know New England, and, and ha- definitely had a very thick accent in his early days. A very uh, you know New Englandy sound to him, which is long gone. But uh, you know, I don't know if it's his beard too, and he's got one of those, you know. I want to be young guy beards, you know, the big thick, thick beard with a lot of, with a lot of gray coming out, but the, it's some, something about the head. It's, it's freaky. I'm a little feisty today. I don't know if you noticed.
1: It's, yeah. I, I love I, I like it. It's the spice to the OSO but, uh, Can't wait to see the picture, and I will certainly make comment on it.
0: (laughs) Well, speaking of WWE, we would sent you all the stuff about the Royal Rumble, which was a week ago, which in this world in 2019, that might as well have been two years ago. It was uh, (laughs) everything that's happened has been such fast paced, and literally, you know, six, seven weeks worth of angles and stuff have happened in one calendar week. So a lot of stuff came out of the Royal Rumble, but I think the most interesting thing has kind of happened post-Rumble. And that is the talk of people defecting, people leaving, people asking for releases. And obviously, you know a lot about that. And when that was the in thing to do in the business was to jump on to somebody else's product. But when you're a talent and you've got a season like WrestleMania coming and you've kind of got the chips in your hand that you could say, well, you know, maybe I do want to explore, you know, other greener pastures that may be out there. You know, is that is 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 that is this the right time to do it or is there ever a right time to do it?
1: Well, with Vince, there's never a right time to do it. Uh, you know, Vince is one of those guys that, you know, probably the guy that uh, most stringently has a memory. So, you know, you leave today because you want to go make more money for your family? Well, you're a piece of shit, and fuck you, and now uh, you're garbage, and that, that's the end of it. Even though I want to treat treat you like a pauper. Uh, you know, so, you know, in a lot of ways, what Vince is a Experiencing and what he's going to continue to experience is his own making you know much like gave rise to ECW in the first place that you know for that brief period of seven years transformed the industry uh, the what's happening now and what's going to happen you can hardly blame a guy or a woman who's busting their ass and you know can't quite break through that political bullshit that is the WWE. Now suddenly they see here's another entity over here. Why not try? And and what they're hearing, saying all the right things, right? We're gonna pay everybody equitably, and uh, you know, they're gonna do all the right things and take care of our employees, and blah blah blah. You know, it sounds great. Uh, so you know, the only thing that you have to contend with in that in that equation is Vince is the proven entity. WWE is the proven entity. So, you know, as much as I dislike their products, you cannot argue with the success. Uh, so as you're getting ready to make that decision, I would urge everybody to, to think it through long-term. as a, It's not just a dollar sign. Because $100 million a year, if the company's gone in a month, and I'm not saying the AEW will be, I'm just saying, you know, just speaking as an equation, $100 million a year, if the company goes belly up in a month or six months, they ain't, ain't going to be as good as making... You know, a lot less money for, the next ten or twenty years, if you could be lucky enough to have that kind of career in the WWE. So, you know, it's it, like the old saying goes: everything's relative. And uh, you know, we have spoken before we got on the air about you know the things that I've been reading about AEW and and the pro- for the prospects uh, for a company. Very difficult to launch a new company, uh, especially against the proven entity. Uh, even one that's programming has been as bad as it's been. Let's be honest with the WWE for the last year, two, three, or more. Um, uh, so it, it, it puts the onus on AEW. You know, are they going to deliver a product that the fans want to see, or are they going to deliver a product that uh, tries to out Vince, Vince of being Vince? If that makes sense, so, you know. So if you're going to do that. You're, I can tell them straight up front they're going to fail. Vince has mastered that and vanquished all the other opposition, the WCWs, the NWAs, the ECWs, the TNAs, the Ring of Honors. He vanquished all them because he is superb at what he does. Now, we could argue the points about the quality of what he does, but at what he does, he's superb at doing that. Uh, So the question I think that needs to be answered is are they going to give something to those massive number of fans that have left wrestling or sports entertainment to bring them back to the table? Uh, If if you're going to fight over 1.6, 1.7 million fans and dwindling, then that's probably a losing business model. Uh, There was an entity called TNA that had panned energy behind them that dumped a prodigious amount of money into a failing bid tried out Vince into being Vince so you know uh, everything I've heard about Tony Khan is that he's a very astute businessman he, he'll need to be um, but that's my professional opinion as a veteran of this business if you go in and try to be sports entertainment plus or super sports entertainment you will fail miserably
0: I don't. It's not even a, just AEW. Obviously, they're the big one that I think WWE is really afraid of. But I think it's also the threat of going to Japan and how lucrative Japan is, and how Japan's coming into the sure. mainstream into the United States. It's also that look. Ring of Honor's still around. Impact is is starting to generate a little bit more of like a cult buzz. Um, their shows. They're teaming up right. with a lot of smaller indies, but doing television and kind of making their shows a little bit more important. But I personally don't like the look of them. It looks very, I don't know, it looks very indie. But the list of guys that have come out the last couple weeks that we've heard of that are looking to depart, I mean, John, you might have a better idea than I do on this. I know Ambrose is the big one, but also the Revival, correct? And a few others that are asking, potentially asking for their release. That's a big deal.
2: Ambrose is supposedly, and even, which makes me kind of think it's a work, is at WB.com. Posted that he will not be resigning in April. He's once gone, revival once gone. AJ Styles' contract is up in April. I you know Nakamura's contract is coming up. Rusev and Lana have said that they want to both want to leave. So I mean, there's a lot of you know potential big name talent. I mean, none of those guys are or you know scrubs or not good or something. I mean, these are some pretty big name talent, including some main vendors right there that are possibly on the you know the free market so to speak pretty soon.
1: Well, keep in mind with WrestleMania coming up. I mean, you bring up a good point because uh, you know with, with those contrasts coming due, AJ couldn't have timed this any better. You know because he's going to WrestleMania. He's obviously going to have a pretty good spot at WrestleMania and should have. Uh, so he could go there uh, potentially and make a a, a career uh, making payoff for WrestleMania. Um, you know, we've talked before about what the main and semi-main make in those positions. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that how many wrestlers on the planet have ever made that kind of money in a singular day? Um, and be able to do that and then right afterwards say, hey, thanks, but I'm going to go and be taken off. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to watch and see, you know, how, how the political side of our business plays out in the next, you know, what month and a half, two months leading up to WrestleMania, and and how these guys are going to play it. But uh, one thing's for certain: the, the the dynamic has changed dramatically because of the the uh, emergence of the AEW. And uh, you know, I, I think if you just take a step back and look at and see if the kind of buzz they've gotten online, and in the social medias, and and uh, you know, in the in the sheets as we used to say, uh, because it's somebody else just fill in the blank. You know, it's just WWE and now somebody else. Uh, and, you know, you have the, the con name attached to it and, you know, his history of success and everything's touched, uh, you know, creates a very dynamic situation for the wrestlers. Um, you know, I, I hope every wrestler that's listening right now, WWE or any of the other independent companies uh, listens to this very click carefully. Uh, the the stage is set and the world is yours. Uh, you know the, the question is: Do you fall for the politics of the fear mongering that certain entities will be trying to play off of, or do you uh, decide you're going to take a swing with your talent? Uh, when I went to ECW, you know there were you know a lot greener passages and two other companies at that time. Uh, Both of which I'd worked for, and neither of which I really wanted to work for again. The one thing I was very confident of was my ability in ring and my ability on the mic, and I was willing to try that as, you know, I guess in other sports you'd say on the free free agency. You know, uh, let's see if if there's something better. Uh, And looking back, you know, it's you know when you reach a stage in your career like I have you get to the point where you go, you look back at things and you sort of assess things, you know, like there, was that a good move or a bad move? Um, financially, it wasn't the greatest move going to ECW, but legacy-wise, I don't think, I can't imagine I would have made any bigger impact had I gone to WCW or WWF at that time. Um, so you have to weigh and balance those things out. Not everything is a dollar sign. Uh, money, as we all know, is the preeminent uh, important factor but you know it's uh, Neil O'Donnell for the Pittsburgh Steelers right what 15 20 years ago I lose track of time but uh, he left the Steelers he was the starting quarterback for the Steelers had a really lackluster Super Bowl performance uh, Steelers tried to resign him for for what then was an incredible Steelers contract you know smaller market contract He left to go to the New York Jets and signed a huge contract that wasn't like like double the money or anything, but it was a much better contract financially, dollar-wise. He lasted up there for, I think, three or four or five games before he did what Neil O'Donnell did and threw a bunch of interceptions, and then he got eviscerated by the New York media. And that was pretty much the end of Neil O'Donnell in the New York market. (laughs)
0: Yes, it was.
1: (laughs) The dollar signs were a lot better for him to go there and stay here. But let's look at the flip side of that. Had he stayed in Pittsburgh, a blue-collar town, for less money and continued to play here, most Pittsburgh, I would dare say, would have thought that he was a god walking on water because he took less money to stay here and would have been a lot more forgiving of those interceptions than certainly the New York market was. Again, not everything is a dollar sign. Uh, it's very important, no question. But not everything is a dollar sign. So those are the things that you know, the, the young men and women in our business right now have to decide as they're making these decisions. The, the great thing for all the wrestlers and for the fans is that they have a decision to make. Um, you know, We've talked at length ad nauseum about the, the quality of the WWE product, which I think is pathetic right now. And has been for some time. Competition in any field makes makes any field better. And you know we've all seen and remember Vince when, like I've often told uh, everybody I've worked with, is that Vince, when pressed, is is a formidable opponent. When he doesn't have that competition, lacking that competition, he's incredibly human, incredibly lackluster. Uh, And that's pretty much what we've seen in this product. So I would dare say AEW is going to improve the WWE product. So it's going to have to to compete. Uh, But the question will be, can the AEW out of the gate find its footing, challenge for those 1.6, 1.7 million fans, and will they do anything that brings those 48 to 50 million fans that have departed back to the game? That's the key question.
0: Just for a little history on Neil O'Donnell, didn't make it even three years into his five-year deal when he came to the Jets and was replaced by Glenn Foley, perhaps the distant relative of uh, <laughs> of Mick Foley. But yeah, no, I was oof, man, that was a brutal signing. But you know, back to what you were saying about you and that time when you did end up back in WCW. You know, I got to be honest with you as a fan, I never thought we'd ever see you in either one of those major two promotions at that point because so much had been said and there was such a war between all the different organizations that for you to even have been negotiating with the WWF and obviously them giving you the insulting, you know, low ball offer yeah. of the century, but then yeah. getting back in with WCW, albeit a different regime, didn't matter who was in charge. It was just the fact that you were back in WCW, I think was the shocker of all shockers.
1: Yeah. Well, that is, but, but again, you know, you I would be careful choose my words carefully, but I'm not something like I'm just being self-aggrandizing. But uh, you know, when you have talent and when you have something to offer, then you know it's funny how the, the political side sort of fixes itself. Uh, you're right. I had said some really damaging things to both WWF and WCW. Them, uh, but you know, our business is about controversy. If you can build controversy, you can draw money. And I have no doubt that that's what WCW saw. Um, I know what the lowball offer from WWE meant. And so that made the decision very easy. And if you recall at that time, I got slammed in the in the social medias and in the sheets for, you know, going as my character, quote unquote, fit bus better than WWE and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, at that point in my career, we talked about, you know, the money that I was owed from WCW and things. I, it, it was a financial, purely financial decision. And in some ways, it saved my financial life, but looking back, did not very much, if anything, for my legacy in the business. That's what I'm talking about whenever I talk about it. It's not just a dollar sign. You know, that's an, uh, certainly an important uh, uh, quotient, but it's not the only uh, uh, factor that you, you've got to weigh. Um, but the, the key thing here, the key element to me as a wrestler, talking to the other wrestlers right now, is that that they have a decision to make, and that right now it's Tabula Rosa, you know. So AEW is just a blank, it's just a name right now. What will that product look like a year from now, five years from now? If it's still around, will we be talking about AEW, or will we be talking about it as you know varying entities of sports entertainment? Um, I don't think five years from now we'll be having that discussion if that's what the discussion is. Uh, But I think that AEW, because it's a new entity and that it is tabula rosa, they have an incredible opportunity to do what Vince McMahon has refused to do, to reach out to those 97 percent who departed the industry and to bring them back. If you do that, you've got an incredible possibility for potential. If not, then I would dare say you're going to be fighting over what I say last year at this time. Uh, Next year at this time, it's going to be lower than it is now. And it is. Oh, Next yeah. year, from now, it'll be lower than it is now. Uh, it, it's a, the, only answer has, the only question that has to be answered is how AEW, Tony Khan, and the and gang uh, deliver the product. If it's sports entertainment, as we've seen from WWE, it's going to fail miserably. I, I, I'll, I'll go on record saying.
0: All they got to do is grab the Impact audience from 2006, and they're already on the same playing field back with what (laughs) WWE is at now. I mean, that's the truth. As funny as it sounds, that's the truth. But I want to get JP in here to kind of summarize what came out of the Royal Rumble, because obviously there's going to be a lot of talk going with WrestleMania, and uh, we're going to have a lot of questions thrown our way about WrestleMania talk and what you think about the current product. So John's going to give us a little bit of a summary here, Shane, uh, of what you have missed since Episode 79.
2: Okay, so Asuka taps out Becky Lynch. And for some reason, um, basically, she doesn't care about Asuka anymore and goes in the Rumble, wins the Rumble, now is challenging Ronda Rousey. So just keep that in the back of your mind that she tapped out Asuka, doesn't want a rematch, is now focusing on Rousey. Just keep that in mind, Shane. Right. Seth, Rollins wins, uh, Seth Rollins predictably wins the Royal Rumble. So he moves on to face Lesnar. And then the most interesting thing to me that happened is the return of Double J Jeff Jarrett, who is now in a feud with Elias on Raw, but he did have a great showing at the Royal Rumble.
1: Interesting. That, what do you think, think about that? A left well, I think it's a left fielder, you know. And you know, when you can do that kind of stuff, when you can, you know, get people talking about something that they never expected to see, that's a good thing for the product. Um, you know, Jeff has the experience, I and mean, he's in great shape. Uh, you know, so he can certainly help him in that realm. Uh, but again, if, if they let Jeff Jarrett be Jeff Jarrett, uh, that's the big again, the big. There's all these big questions, right? That's the question. Or are they going to make him Double J? Uh, you know, the entity that he was before. And you know, my experience in WWE, from an outsider looking in, is that they have this desire to put you into that straight track that they see you as being as opposed to playing off your strengths, as you know, them, and, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with Jeff. Uh, you know, Jeff's a lot more astute. I think now than he was, he's a lot older, uh, you know, has the experience of having run his own, uh, company with TNA and, you know, try to get global force started, you know, so there's, there's a lot of work there and a lot of play, but, uh, you know, the, 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 again, I think the AEW has just really created a vastly different landscape. You know, I wonder if Double J would be there right now if it weren't for AEW. You know, it's, it's one of those, but only Vince knows the answer to that, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it certainly seems like from the WWE that we've seen for the last several years, seems like an oddity, you know, to have Jeff Jarrett back there, but, uh, no doubt I have, that he can help them and you know, and, and things they need. He's exactly what they've been lacking. Uh, the seasoned veteran, the experienced uh, pro that can take that and divulge that to the younger guys in the dressing room, which I think has been, as we've talked about for the last two years in this podcast, what has been lacking from their younger talent it's not a slap at them. It's like, they're, they're not athletic enough or they're not as good. It, it, this is a very difficult industry to pick up. And there's no manual out there written chapter one, taking bumps, chapter two, doing this chapter three. It's, it's purely done in the ring. And it's a, a uh, an industry where the largesse yes of the industry has been handed down by those that know it, those that don't, um, for the last how many years you haven't seen that in, in WWE that's been the one thing that's been lacking in their product so Jeff Jarrett can be a huge asset WWE right now uh, you know th- th- no matter how many pros you have coming in or veterans you have coming into the uh, uh, performance center sh- sitting and doing something in the gym is very different than doing it in, in front of an arena full or now what 40% full 45% full uh, it's very different. It's a very different universe. That's where you learn. Uh, you can learn the perfunctory stuff in the performance center, but you can't learn those nuanceable, uh, seasonings that, that make a seasoned veteran. Uh, that takes place in front of a live audience and it includes making mistakes. You know, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, the teleprompters and the scripts and all of that. That precludes all that. That exempts all that. It takes all that out of the equation. So, you know, if, if again, if they allow Jeff Jarrett to be Jeff Jarrett and go in and deliver what Jeff Jarrett can do, and then to disseminate what Jeff Jarrett knows through the younger talent, he could be a huge asset. But if they just plug Jeff into that WWE model, uh, my guess would be that he'll, he'll be getting a paycheck, and that's about it.
0: Yeah, he was like a hybrid mix, first at the Rumble, he comes out in the double J flashy hat with the male stripper, you know, uh, <laughs> attire with the, uh, you know, what I don't know what you would call them, the frillies or whatever the hell they are, those uh, straps across his, uh, the top of his tights. But then the next yeah. night, and he gets completely, you know, he he, he kind of gets not humiliated, but I mean they dump him out in relatively thirty seconds. Uh, so the next well,
1: night, but I'm, well, I'm sure he was heartbroken. Over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I bet you the rib was that he came out as double J that night because then the following two weeks that he's now been on TV, he's been like the slap nuts, Jeff Jarrett with those catchphrases and the sunglasses and more of that look, but still using, you know, the double J Jeff Jarrett moniker and theme music, which is where Vince likes to kind of interject his take on the Jeff Jarrett character.
1: Yeah. Well, again, it plays out, you know, it's, this is not going to be a thing you're going to see the the results of in, in two weeks or four. It's going to be the kind of thing you're going to, have to you know, next year at this time we'll be, have to, you know, make the assessment as to have they allowed him to be Jeff Jarrett and to disseminate that that experience to the younger talent, which would be my guess is why he's there. Uh, but you know, I like guess said how many times on this show? I you know, every time I thought I had been figured out. Uh, You know, he does something else that makes you scratch your head even more. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But if they allow Jeff Territ to be Jeff Territ and to disseminate that experience that he has to that younger crew, that's what that younger crew desperately needs up there.
0: And possibly also in a producer role uh, as well, which is exactly what you're talking about. And, of course, you know, we like to... See those guys that did contribute a lot to the business. Obviously, we do not need to go into the history of the Jarretts in professional wrestling. I mean, they've paved a lot of roads, uh, literally, through uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Uh, they've paved a ton of roads, but it's good to see him back in fold. It's still, as a, as a longtime fan, and John and I could text about this all day long, it's still absolutely crazy that Jeff Jarrett is, is involved with the WWE. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says that is one. There's only one other guy, and he's on the phone right now. Who I could never expect <laughs> to walk through that curtain. Jeff Jarrett would have been the other guy.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the, the other guy you're talking about, I, I, I can pretty certainly say that uh, you, you you will never see back on that stage. It's uh, uh, I, I just just at this stage of my life, I just don't have the pension for that. Uh to put up with that politics and that stupid mindset uh, just on that. Yeah, I would love to, if I could on, over on the side, work with the kids, I'd love that. But again, there's only so much of that. You can disseminate in a uh, uh, sterile setting of a, of a performance center or a gymnasium or a gym. Uh, it's got to be, this business has got to be handed down in front of live audio that's where you learn That's you make mistakes, you learn from those mistakes. But the only way to do that is to make those mistakes and, uh, and learn from them. You know, when you, in my experience, the one thing that made the greats, the greats was not, they didn't make mistakes. We all made plenty of them. The, what made them the greats was that they rarely made them again. Uh, you know, and, and again, you learn that in front of a live audience, you know? So if you're, you're in a sterile setting of a performance center, we'll say, and you make a mistake, well, who gives a shit? Let's just start this, this rewind and we'll set up and do that again. And just, we'll just keep practicing it. And uh, It's sterile. There, there's, there's no sense of urgency. There's no uh, feedback. There's no immediacy to it. It's just, okay, well, I messed that up. Let's, let's start over and try it again. And, you know, blah. No, there very, very little learning taking taken place from that setting. It's, it's in front of a live audience.
0: I, uh, I talked to somebody earlier this week who was involved with the WWE developmental from years past where they did not have a performance center, but they did have their somewhat of a territory system where you were working little spot shows here and there. And He mm-hmm. had said to me that he wished, looking back, he was more a student of the game and kind of took some of the, the nuances that they've got available to them now and maybe accentuated them at the level he had, but I think having somebody like you down there, or, or anybody at that point, uh, just somebody who's been through the trenches, and it's not taking away from somebody who may work the same schedule that you do, but just, the, I, I feel like it's also the situations that you have to have uh, the experience with that make, you know, the, the learning process that much more important, because you've dealt with, so many different high-level people in the business. You've dealt with all the different personalities. You've dealt with all of the bullshit. You've dealt with all the big names and the politics. And I feel like being in a top spot, I don't know, I feel like that's more, not more important, but it's, it's, it's vital when it's a new person coming into the business. And that, that unnamed wrestler said he wished he had been more of a student of the game and learned from people like that.
1: Well, that's, that's the key. You know, that, that's where the learning takes place. You know, I mean, I, I can so vividly remember, you know, being in the ring with the Dick Murdoch's and the Pez Watleys and all those guys we've spoken about before, and you know, terrified going through the curtain because you know that you don't know a thimble amount compared to what they know, and you're terrified of messing up. You're terrified of looking like an idiot in front of a live audience. And then that person, whoever it is, that, that legend that you're working with, sort of takes you by the nose and under their wing and through the experience of doing it night after night after night, teaches you. And, you know, you don't even realize for a large part of the time when you're learning until you've learned. And then you look back and think, well, geez, you know, I used to mess that up all the time and now I'm you know, doing it pretty regularly and you know, doing it right pretty regularly. Uh, but that's how it works. You know, and then being in that position, you know, every young wrestler out there right now, every independent wrestler right now that has a pair of boots in their bag, uh, dreams of one day being a champion. You know, there's Nobody's ever broken into wrestling that says, I just want to go out and wrestle and get slapped around and, you know, and, and call it a day. Everybody dreams of being the next world heavyweight champion, the next world tag team champion, the next whatever. Uh, to get there. To do that, it's not just, okay, somebody saying, okay, today, Chad, we're going to make you the champion. That's, that's you know, that's, I am de- believe you, that's pretty much how it's being done today. But, you know, it used to be and should be built upon, okay, here's this person that two years ago couldn't lace their boots. But we put them with this talent and this talent and that talent and that talent. And they've lived up to each one of those things and slowly learned their craft. And now we think they're ready to get that belt, uh, to be in a position to draw money. Oftentimes, it doesn't work. That person gets put in that position and the the, the houses aren't there. Uh, But those morsels of when it does happen right and that person does begin to draw, uh, you've rarely seen somebody that's been a draw. A year or two or three from now isn't a draw, and without, you know, it, it, unless there's politicking or something going on. Uh, but usually, somebody that's drawn before can continue to draw because it's like riding a bike. Once you've done it and you've done it successfully, you know what to do. Two or three years from now, you're only better at your craft than you were two or three years ago. And but again, right now we're talking about a vastly different industry where that is not, and that's no longer seen as an asset experience that's seen as, well, that means you're just older or uh, whatever. So I I think it's a breath of fresh air that double J is back in WWE because again, he's got a, a world of experience that he can disseminate to the rest of that dressing room. The question I would have is, is there a dressing room with ears ready to listen and learn? uh because they've they've not had that for the last i don't know what five ten years you've had pretty much around the same level, and when you did have an undertaker coming in, the undertakers were working with the triple h's or you know the other top guys, so you were still over here watching you know those guys over there do you know make big money in the big in the big angles in the big spots uh so now it's going to be an interesting experiment to see how, how, how WWE plays this with, with Jeff Jarrett because you know Jeff Terrence, there's a lot of other Jeff Jarrett's out there that have that experience that have been pushed behind the scenes because, you know, whatever reason, the WWE decided to go that route. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see because I would think that with the athleticism that the younger athletes have in WWE, that now putting them with somebody with the experience to take them by the nose, like we were all taken by the nose and wafting off that experience and then shedding off that experience to the younger talent of younger athletes. That's, that's invaluable. You, 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 know, you literally cannot put a, a, a uh, you can't fill in that X factor. You can't say, okay, it's this or it's that number. Uh, it, it really is invaluable and it's been largely sanitized out of the industry. So let's see how it plays off with Jeff Jarrett.
2: Yep, okay. It is that time again, Shane, AFA, Ask, Franchise Anything. And this is an email from Tommy, who I have to believe, when I throw out there, it's got to be Tommy Dreamer, but it, it may may not be. But I'm thinking it might be Tommy Dreamer. It says, with the recent signings of Jeff Jarrett, Abyss, Sanjay Dutt, and Hurricane Shane Helms as producers to the WWE, Do you think that this legitimizes Impact and TNA Wrestling at all by the fact that WWE is bringing in all these guys to work behind the scenes? Shane, what do you think? Yes,
1: for those that know those guys came from there. You know, Most of those guys had careers before TNA. uh, And uh, most current WWE fans, I think, are, are the fans that don't or aren't aware of that don't realize that. So, you know, when you talk about, you know, Shane Helms, Shane Helms is recognized by and large by the character that was created in the WWE. So where he, of course, there's you know, the fans that are, you know, online and things that are are aware that he's been to other places. Um, You know, so it's, uh, you know, what's the knowledge level of the fans? I I don't know. I, I don't know if that becomes a, a stamp of approval to TNA or any place else that they've been. uh, But all experience is necessary, and it's it's important. So, you know, hopefully the fans will see that, you know, because uh, every different flavor Mm. has merit. You know, whether it's been as successful or less successful as, in this case, WWE, doesn't mean it's less important uh, or less valuable experience. You know, all experience is, is, is a benefit, you know, so what they're going to bring to the table as producers uh, certainly comes from, you know, in going back there to WWE, they understand the system, they've been there, they know the politics of it and how to traverse all of that. Uh, but they also bring with them the experience of having had to deliver on a different level. You know, like in ECW, when we were doing ECW. I've mentioned this many times before, but uh, we, we, couldn't afford a bad night you know we didn't have a band energy or a time Warner behind us so we had to deliver the goods on every given night not that we always did but the one thing that I noticed in ECW look and looking back in hindsight you know which is always 2020 was that I never ever saw anybody lazy in ECW there was nobody out there you know half a crowd was gone take it easy um, you know, in Christ, there were times we were in front of buildings that were, uh, certainly in the early days, far less than full. Uh, and, and those buildings got just as exciting of the show as the packed buildings later in ECW's tenure. Uh, so, you know, there anybody that went through ECW that would be a producer today in WWE brings a world of experience from ECW, albeit at a different level, but... I would dare say that some of that different level experience is what's necessary. You know, the, the, you know, your Seth Rollins's and your uh, Dean Ambrose's and all of those guys, they've got the experience of working in front of the big crowds. Uh, they've got the experience of reading the script and the teleprompter. They've got the experience of being told what to do and what not to do in the ring. But do they have the experience of delivering the goods when the match before them got cut because the guy, you know, or, or woman couldn't perform, uh, or the crowd wasn't buying what whatever was being given or some mishap in the building caused the show to go in a different direction on a dime. Uh, those types of things are things that, you know, to, to the uninitiated, unin, uh, you know, would cause panic. Holy shit. The, the, the powers around the building, what do we do now? Uh, but for somebody that's been in that situation, as we have been, uh, that's an experience that you know can calm the sea. So, you know, it's uh, the TNA experience, or the you know all the other experiences you mentioned. Uh, you know, in the AFA question, it's all going to be valuable. Uh, experience is experience, and experience from different uh, corners is is invaluable. So yeah, it'll it'll all be certainly uh, helpful to their talent there.
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And you know, we, like we said it before, you you've done this before, haven't you? You've uh, <laughs> you've been around the block a couple of times. So uh, we we appreciate the the question being sent in. Obviously, the Impact Wrestling uh, crew that's now with WWE it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be making an impact. How about that, huh? As we as we wrap it up. I like- I'm done. <laughs> exactly. But, hey, before we uh, we get into the plugs here and we get into the build for next week, one guy on Twitter, because I threw it out right before we recorded, I said, hey, you got anything you want to say to the franchise? You know, we got our question here about uh, AEW. We kind of addressed that. But I got to ask this one, Shane, just because it's a little bit out there. A guy named Dennis wants to know that he said he lives in Duke's, I want to say it's Kenzie, P.A., and went to Kennywood du- Park du- growing. Duke, du- 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 All right, Duquesne, du- du- P.A., all right, so I lived in Duquesne, PA. I went to Kennywood Park growing up. I was wondering if you've ever been.
1: Oh, absolutely. I grew up in this area. <laughs> I, you know, the funny part is most high schools in the area would do their their annual school picnics. Uh, but ours never did. But I had been there. You know, again, that's, it's almost a, a laughable question because everybody in, in, that's grown up in this area has been to Kennywood at some point or another. Uh you know, for me, I, I haven't been much in the last couple of years only because, I, I, you know, I've just been around this business as long as I've been. Uh, you just don't want like to be around crowds of people like that, and Kennywood is, you know, it's always packed. There's always a great crowd there, and my boys love going there. They have, uh, just a little plug for Kennywood, they're the best french fries on the planet uh, at Kennywood. So, uh, you know, it's a great park. It's a great amusement park. Especially for one being like inside you know, the city, you know, as far as you know, the outskirts of the city, I mean, you, know, it's, you wouldn't expect to find that kind of a nice amusement park um, in a city like Pittsburgh. It, it really is a nice little park. It started off as a place where the steel mills used to send their uh, their employees uh, for their picnics, and then over the last hundred and some years, it's been around. It's a long, it's an old old park. But they keep it up to date. They keep uh, renovating. They have the classic rides. They keep adding new rides. Uh, you know, Kenny was a, a, a nice little park. It's a great little asset for Pittsburgh. It really is because you know, if, without that, if Kenny went out of the equation, now you're looking at like to go to a good, a really nice amusement park. You got to go all the way up to Ohio and Cedar Point or Cincinnati for uh, uh, Kings Island. Uh, you know those types of things. So it's 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 great to have a place that's within. An hour, you know, of home. The last time I was at Kennywood with my boys was I want to say 2010 or 11. Uh, we went up. That was a brutally hot day, like 100, and, 100 degrees outside, hot, humid Pittsburgh day. We left Kennywood and went straight down to Station Square. So he you know, what's the guy's name to ask a question again?
0: His name's Dennis.
1: Dennis from the we know what I'm talking about in Station Square. And I took my boys down there. And we saw uh, Cinderella and the Scorpions in concert. And it was just a, it was just a nasty, hot day, uh, but a great day because we capped off of that great concert at the end. So, you know, Pittsburgh is, you know, the, the, I always say this, but the people that think that Pittsburgh is like a dirty old steel town, it hasn't been that since the 1980s. The steel mills left in the 80s, early 80s. And Pittsburgh now is an incredibly beautiful city with uh, you know, a ton of different nationalities and ethnicities, and you know, it really is a melting pot. Uh, you know, so anybody that's grown up in Pittsburgh knows is aware of all that. And then you have a place like Kenny, where you put all those people together in one place, uh, it just it creates a dynamic situation. It's really fascinating to sit and to be able to experience. And so like, for me, like growing up, you know, always talk about immigration and stuff now. For any of us that grew up here in Pittsburgh, that's almost like a secondhand story. You know like we you know we've we've grown up with that and so surprised that most the rest of the country aren't aware of those things and those different ethnicities uh you know we grew up here in pittsburgh i I can't speak for other places i'm sure a lot of other places like this but we grew up here in pittsburgh where you know you weren't uh lebanese american or italian american or african-american you were american and you were a Pittsburgher, and you know so it's sort of odd for me today to sit and watch you know like all this fierce debate over that kind of stuff because you know I think at the end of the day it doesn't really matter where the hell you come from we're all human beings right you know so it's you know we all endeavor the same thing for our kids for them to have a better life than we have Uh, if you're like me I just want to get up tomorrow and go to bed tomorrow night and have as little bullshit in between as possible Uh, and places like Kenny would make that possible so great question Venice. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, you got to love that. I love when the I love when we can get the local flavor uh, for Pittsburgh and then here's another great one because this is what we're covering next week and this is why I'm going to just say it here. Ben Martin, he wants to know uh, your thoughts on your time in Continental and Eddie Gilbert's booking of CWF in general and that is where we will pick it up next week as we travel uh, through your journey through the territories and we touch on Continental for whatever the frig reason we have not talked about it at all. But we are gonna finally talk about it next week, and I can't wait. There's a lot of stuff that I'm, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to. But you got any bullet points for us, Shane? Anything we got to look for as we do our research? No, I, I, I,
1: in continental, I, you know, I think it's pretty much all written. You know, that story's pretty much all been written, but very seldom talked about. You know, for me, it's gonna be. You know, I, I, I'm. I'm sitting with a smile on my face because I, you know, we I, we have not talked, I've not talked much about Continental over the years. And it was a a huge part of my learning curve. You know, I, I really, you know, if it makes sense, got my sea legs in Continental. I mean, I, I learned my basics of my craft in Dominic's gym and then in UWF, but then going to Continental with Eddie. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but Eddie Gilbert, you know, and I just have heard this multiple times since, but Eddie really saw something in me that at the time I didn't see in myself. And, you know, and go back and look and realize that UWF, Eddie gave me my break, Uh, uh, Continental, Eddie put me in a key position. Then later in ECW, Eddie was the one that brought me into there. Uh, He clearly saw something in this young kid that I didn't see in myself, at those times, especially in the positions he's putting me into. So, you know, constantly going to level up, talk about with it next week, and I look forward to this. It's going to be a fun trip down memory lane.
0: Absolutely. And now with the door opening, the wrap up is definitely starting as the cavalcade of Girl Scouts starts to come in through the door. <laughs> so please, if you want to reach out to anybody from the Triple Threat Podcast, please hit us up on Twitter at the franchise SD, at, uh, at the three threat pod at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Hello, Bree. How are you doing? Hey, babe. All right, see, here we go as the wrap-up. And also, please hit us on TMPTofWrestling.com. That's our website where we've got all our show links as well as the links to the franchise Shane Douglas T-shirt page on ProWrestlingTees.com. Shane, we got to sell some T-shirts here. we got to get people decked out in their franchise attire. As the uh, it was a little warm, I know uh, in Virginia. I'm sure it was in Pittsburgh as well. We got to get those short sleeve franchise shirts ready. So please head on over there, support Shane, support the Triple Threat Podcast, and uh, yeah, I mean you know that wraps up uh, episode 80. It took an extra week, but I think it was well worth the wait.
1: Hey, I, I, looking forward to uh, again uh, talking about Continental Ice made a lot of fun. There's a lot of little stories that. Hopefully, we we'll get some great questions about that—that that, you know came up in Continental, uh, the, the, the people that were there, the talent that was there, and you know what came out of that territory for a lot of those uh, wrestlers. Uh, so it'll be a lot of fun next week.
0: Nice, and Brie will not be co-hosting with us because Shane, we know she's got a little bit of a she's got a little bit of a feud with you dating back a few months, so she will not yeah. be joining us.
1: Yeah, she, she you know, that, the greatest sound in the world kids coming in the door.
0: Yeah. And we got Girl Scout cookies waiting for us, so that's even better. So let's uh, let's wrap it up here now. I know you got a weekend off here, Shane, so a nice resting period for you. And why don't you do what you do best? Uh, take us out in only the way the franchise can and get us onto our journey to Continental next week.
1: Episode 80, Under Our Belts, episode 81 next week about Continental Wrestling, the franchise there, all the great goings on. Make sure you tune in next week, because if you don't, You'll get your ass franchised.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.